Y'all stay blessed out there. You are locked on fantasy basketball, your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd. I am the lead fantasy analyst at basketballmonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at redrock underscore beeble. It's the last of our positional tiers podcast. We're going to be looking at the centers in today's podcast. So I'm bringing back, of course, the one and only Matt Smith, who's been with me all week. Matt? Ah, Smitty. It's good to have you back. It's been a good week and... The last of our tiers, and we've been discussing a little bit off air, but this might actually be the most interesting position out of the lot. Yeah, it's possibly the most crucial, especially if you're playing default Yahoo settings where you have to field two centers, which I think is an absolutely horrible setting, and you should go in and change that. If you're a league manager or employer commissioner to do it, I don't think. For a, a, the league like the NBA where centers are becoming less and less important in general, the fact that you have to field two of those in a uh, in a Yahoo league as opposed to, say, one and a half guards and one and a half forwards is, uh, is a nonsense decision and uh, it shouldn't be the way. So go and get that change. But if it isn't the case, if you, know, you can't get a change and you are stuck with two centers, it's bloody hard to find two really good centers because of the way the NBA is going and limiting the roles and the minutes and the, and the real deficiencies a lot of these guys have, which is what we're going to be talking about in today's show. Matt, if you want to hear about you know, what we mean by drafting tiers... Go back and check the point guard episode. We discussed that at the top. Some uh, controversial uh, tiers we've had through the uh, through the show so far. Some people didn't like some of our decisions, but we'll see how it all pans out in the end. And now we're going to be looking at tier one of the centers. This one's pretty pretty easy. I don't think many people would have too much to complain about with our tier one of the centers. I don't think so. It's <clears throat> Anthony Davis. Excuse me. <clears throat> Anthony Matt, Davis. dying over there. It's okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm a bit struggling awake. I don't know how you do... 20 podcasts in two days, mate. Um, Anthony Davis of the New Orleans Pelicans, undisputed number one fantasy player this season, coming on the back of a phenomenal end of 2017-2018 where he averaged nearly 30 points, 12 rebounds, 3.5 blocks and two steals on 52 and 84% after the All-Star break last year. And Josh, he used to be injury prone. He used to be I'm never drafting him again, but now all of a sudden, bang, everyone wants Anthony Davis with the number number one pick this season. Yeah, it doesn't, as I say, it doesn't take long for people's opinions to change on many different things. Never drafting him again. If he's in the second round, I wouldn't take him. And now it's like, oh my God, he's 100% the number one guy. Now, Matt, I'll throw this to you because you're, you're someone who dives into the NBA schedule quite a bit, probably more than what I do. Is the fact that the New Orleans Pelicans have uh, one of these shittest schedules an issue there with Anthony Davis? The last four weeks of the season, not including that little pissy half week at the end, the Pelicans yep. play only three games in that time frame. The only team that is uh, as bad as that is the Chicago Bulls playing 3-3-3-3 uh, three, 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 and three over that time period as well. So is that an issue where you would go, you know what, maybe I don't want to be taking Anthony Davis at pick one because when it comes to the playoffs, he's going to be playing one less game than many other guys. Do you know what? I think that's actually an advantage for Anthony Davis because, A, three games is great. He's going to be playing 34, 35 minutes in each of those games. And, B, the New Orleans Pelicans should be playing for a playoff seeding um, and potentially trying to get a home court advantage there. Or They probably won't make top four. But, um, but yeah, you don't want to be finishing eighth and playing the Warriors, so fighting it out for fifth, sixth, and seventh. So um, 
I think that could work in Anthony Davis's advantage. And even if James Harden has two more games over that two or three week stretch, it's not going to change my opinion. Yeah, I look, it, it 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 has some of an impact. And I always say that when you're looking at schedule, you should be looking at, at the top of your drafts. That's the area it's going to make an impact if it's going to make an impact anyway. And this is obviously right at the very pointy end of a draft. So looking at someone like Anthony Davis and saying he's going to play one less game than what James Harden may play, or say Kevin Durant, although we don't know the Warriors' schedules all over the place, a two and a five game week back-to-back is pretty weird uh, in that sort of an area. But also just as we're going to talk about in today's podcast, like centers are so hard to come by and getting guys who can be really strong in blocks and anchor that category while also helping your field goal percentage and not hurting your free throw percentage, it's pretty bloody hard to do. And to get centers who play these big minutes, it's not an easy thing to do. So that probably tips the scale yeah, more in Davis's favor there. Even though I've been a big Harden guy for the last couple of years, had him number one the last three years. I understand you know, getting Davis is pretty important. And you know, I'm not putting massive, massive weights on, uh, on playoff schedule, but many people will bring that point up and, and have that issue. But again, you couldn't guarantee that Harden's going to play those four games in the first week of the playoffs. He might play three, he might play two, he might be injured. And then you, over the course of the season, you might get different levels of production. And again, finding those big men might make your team actually not, uh, you know, get, Finding the wrong big man might make your team not actually good enough, even if you do have Harden in that first pick, to be a title contender. So there is a lot for us to uh, to consider when looking at the number one pick. But I wouldn't I wouldn't overthink, and I'd be taking uh, Anthony in that uh, in that number one spot. Tier two, Matt. Is Carl Anthony Towns from the Minnesota Timberwolves? Uh, everybody loves Towns because he's durable, plays every game, every season. Um, well, the longer that happens, the closer it is. To not happening, exactly. Um, a la Russell Westbrook with his knee surgery, he's just had overnight. Um, the time will come when he gets injured and, and misses games. I'm not saying it will happen this season, and you shouldn't draft him, but you need to actually factor that in. That playing 38 minutes a night, um, night after night after night for 82 games is going to take its um, its toll on Towns. So um, his output is elite, though his only defensive stats away from from Anthony Davis's level, and yeah, will be a, a pretty sound top five pick, I would imagine. Yeah, look the again the the dearth of centers pushes uh, pushes Towns up a little bit. The defensive numbers are are a worry. His block numbers have uh, have dropped 1.7 in his rookie season, down then down to 1.3, and then 1.4 last year. But the point you bring up, he's played 82 games every season. I'm aware of that. But there's a, there's a chance that he misses 10 games this year. There's a chance he misses 20 games this season. In fact, if I had to put it out there, I would suggest that Towns probably, if I had to say, will he play over under 80 games, I'd say under. I know that seems dumb for a guy who's never missed a game. It's just, it just you can't do it. You cannot do it every single season. And we can talk about LeBron being an Ironman and never sustaining serious injuries. He's missed time. He's had injuries. He had that two-week break that time to, to go refresh himself in Miami because of, you know, and whatever it was, back issues or shoulder issues or elbow issues or whatever, he's had injuries. And Towns is not going to be the one human in, in recorded history who's able to not ever get injured. You know, Westbrook and Lillard were those guys, DeAndre Jordan were those guys, and then they're all missing games. So at some point, Towns is going to miss games. So drafting him based on the fact that I know he's going to give me 82 games, well, you don't know. And if you do know, use that knowledge to go do something more productive because you've read the future somehow because it, it's it's no guarantee. It's been great, but at some point, shit's going to happen. Someone's going to fall on his leg down. Waiters is going to dive into his knee. Uh, Dally's going to scramble for a loose ball with him. Something is going to happen at some point. We just don't know what it is. Maybe he's going to start doing knuckle push-ups in true Minnesota big man tradition. Anything could happen. And it's not something where I bank on and go, 82 games, bang, it's in. He's playing him. The big minutes, yeah, sure. But 
yeah, let's let's just be careful with assuming that someone's going to play every game just because that's what they've done through their career. The Timberwolves trade for Zaza Pachulia, and then he goes and breaks his elbow or something. JaVale McGee could uh, you know, step, step on his Achilles and snap it. There could be anything that could, that could happen with uh, these clumsy, uh, clumsy big men around the NBA. So he is, yeah, he's pretty comfortably there in Tier 2. There's you know, obviously three to four strong centers in the top 15, but they're all sort of separated by you know, little chunks of value. So let's move on to Tier 3. Talking about one of those centers who is in that first round conversation, we were discussing this before we came on air, Matt, and uh, I took in the Analyst versus Listener League and 8-Cat Roto, which we're drafting at the moment, I had pick number six, and I took Nikola Jokic there. Now, in, in the projections, he's projected as the seventh best player, but I took him at number six because in a Roto League especially, I, I need a big man. I want an efficient big man. They're hard to come by. He doesn't block huge amounts of shots, but he blocks some shots. His percentages are awesome, and we know he's going to give me out-of-position numbers in terms of those assists. So I took him ahead of a guy like Steph Curry because I thought I could pick up some of Curry's numbers later, but getting that efficient big man was uh, was really important because uh, because Jokic is pretty good. It's pretty, 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 pretty good. Did you, uh, did you like my move of getting Jokic at six? Yeah, I did, and I think we need to look at it in the big picture, um, so in terms of taking either a Towns or, or Jokic before, say, a Curry or a Giannis, what you can do then at, at towards the end of the second round is you've got guys like Kyrie Irving, Devin Booker, Drew Holiday, Donovan Mitchell, Eric Bledsoe, Bradley Beal, Kyle Lowry. Like, there's six or eight names just off the top Kemba of my head. Walker. that you can Kemba Walker that you can draft to get those guard stats, even Chris Middleton um, around later as well. So if you do take a curry, then you're probably going to be trying to um, either fishing for a, for a big man there, maybe someone like a Rudy Gobert or an Andre Drummond, or you back it up and go guard, guard, and then you really have to find a big man with that with that third or fourth pick, which we'll get to um, in a minute when we get a bit further through into these tiers. Jokic was the 11th ranked player last year, but in the last two months of the season, he was the number two ranked player, and that was with Paul Millsap in the lineup. Look, he could very easily, he could legitimately finish top three this season. He averaged 22, 11, and seven with a steal, 1.2 steals a block, and almost two threes on pretty insane percentages. I don't imagine the 47% from three he shot is going to hold, but he could really finish high there. And you know, he, him in that middle part of the first round is is strong. And then I'll, you know, obviously, I made the pick of getting him there. Um, and I think there is upside in that, but it's also about statistical scarcity and positional scarcity as well. So that's why I went with Jokic there. T- tier four, Matt, you've got another big man who I don't think is creeping into the first round, but uh, I think there'll be many people who listen to this podcast in which uh, Joel Embiid does end up going at the end of the first round. Yeah, he might. I, I prefer him as an early second um, round pick, comparing with LeBron James, Damian Lillard, Paul George, Jimmy Butler, Victor Oladipo, just a, a perfect um, uh, duo there at the end of the first, early second round. If he can increase his free throw percentage, um, he could easily be a top 10 player, a fantasy player that is, obviously. Um, his health issues are well documented, but I'm actually pretty confident he can play 70 games or above this season. Yep. So, um, yeah, it's all looking up for Joel Embiid. I've got him projected at 69 games. Giggity! Just so I could play that drop pretty much. But yeah, he could very easily get to get to 70 games. Um, and I, I, yeah, I'm not really worried about his injury. And in a lot of drafts where I've had a back-end pick, I get Kawhi Leonard in the second round at the start, I grab Joel Embiid. And I feel like it's a pretty solid base to start teams off with. So that's a combination that I am pretty happy with. Yeah, if his three-point shooting goes back to what he was doing in his rookie season, a lot of his value yeah, jumps up. You mentioned the free throw percentage. Also... Um, 
He's going to block shots. He's a pretty good passer, strong rebounder, big scorer. Embiid's yeah, obviously an awesome player and yeah, pretty solid at that start of the second round type of area. In Tier 5, another singular tier here, Matt. Rudy Gobert, a guy who, who did disappoint some people last season. He struggled uh, with injury, that knee injury, early in the season, but then did come home fairly strongly, finishing the last two months of the year as a top 20 guy, and he was being drafted around that top 20 mark. Uh, anyway, uh, overall for the year, he was just 32nd, but what we saw there is his legendary efficiency jump back up, which he struggled with early in the season. We thought he'd get somewhat of a usage bump with Gordon Hayward gone. He didn't. We didn't assume Donovan Mitchell was going to take 30% usage rate. We thought that uh, Gobert could get more, but he just ended up doing what he does. 15 points, 14 points, 12 boards, over two blocks. And if the blocks go back from 2.3 back to 2.6, then his value rises again. Um, What what do you make of, say, Gobert, and more importantly, say, his free throw percentage? How how do you look at that? Um, It's not as big a hit as guys like Drummond and Capella, um, in particular, in the next round. So you can come back from it. You'd probably want to pair him with a Damian Lillard, um, James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, um, Steph Curry type, especially in a rotisserie league, to bring that um, free throw percentage back to a reasonable level. So it can be done. Um, but yeah, as you said, just elite and rebounds, blocks and, and field goal percentage. So you know what you're going to get with Rudy Gobert. And um, yeah, another 75 plus games should be on the cards. He's not he's not an automatic punt type of a guy. You can you can pretty comfortably recover from that if you've got the right guys ahead of him. So I think in one league I did the other day, I had Harden and I may have had um, Lillard. Booker. I, I don't know Booker. who it was. Booker. Booker. Thank you, Matt, yeah. for reminding me of my own draft of what I did. Yeah, I had uh, Harden and Booker and then grabbed Gobert to get those block numbers up. So my free throw percentage was perfectly fine. I didn't have any issues with, with getting him there. Yeah, dropped it down a bit, but I was still in the upper portions of the free throw percentage in that league. So it did did end up working out pretty well for me uh, in the end with the the way that draft uh, went down. So uh, that's tier five. And as you can see, all three of these tiers, or sorry, all five of these tiers we've done have had just the one person. So pretty clear delineations in uh, in the value of these guys. And if they went out of this order, I'd be pretty surprised. Davis, Towns, Jokic, and B. Gobert, that should be the order that these centers go off the board in your drafts. And I think if people are doing it a different way, they're probably making a, a miscalculation of some de- to, to some degree. And and just on you grabbing Rudy Gobert in that mock, I tweeted that out because you went Harden, Booker, and Gobert. I went, because we had picks one and two, I went Davis, um, Beal, and Lowry, I think it was. And I tweeted out that you and I start with completely opposite players, mm. but at that point in the draft, or even after three rounds, our statistical line was you know, as close enough to identical. So, um, yeah, it was just a a good little scenario to see that, yeah, no matter where where you start or how you start with that first person, you can, you can end up with a similar, um, statistical team. That was a, that was a roto league as well. So that's why it wasn't in a situation where I go, I've got Harden and Booker, let's punt field goals. Like, no, I've got to get these things back to that, you know, seven, eight, nine point type of a range. And that's what, you know, the pairing of those guys and you went big early. So you grab some guards to, to balance that out. And that's exactly what we ended up doing with those guys. Speaking of punting free throw percentage, tier six, Matt. Uh, tier six, we have Andre Drummond from the Pistons and Clint Capella from the Rockets. So, yeah, this is where we start to get into that um, dangerous range in the free throw percentage. Um, Drummond's assistance steals dropped last season when Blake Griffin ar- arrived, which cost him some value. Um, but he'll be at the top of the rebounding table again. And he steals are pretty elite from a center eligible player. 
And Capella rebounds, blocks, field goal specialist again. He actually only played 27.5 minutes per game last season, so there's a chance that that could rise slightly this season. Um, I think it's going to rise yeah. pretty significantly. Do you reckon he'll get the 30? I reckon he'll be just a shade under. Maybe he's like 29.7, 29.8, around that sort of mark. Yeah, yeah, that would be nice. And we're currently um, through into the third round in our analyst versus listener eight cat roto league um and this might sound strange to some people but i did pair damien lillard with ben simmons in my first two picks just because mainly because lillard's um elite free throw percentage my um, free throw percentage is currently projected around 80 percent so ideally i was looking for a big man with my third pick i'm on the clock at the moment john collins deandre jordan uh, deandre ayton have both just gone lamarcus aldridge um kyle chose Josh, you took Mark Gasol. Uh, Miles Turner went at pick 30, so there was some um, the run of bigs. So I'm in a tough spot now trying to find blocks, and as silly as this may sound, I'm actually considering Clint Capella and trying to somehow salvage my free throw percentage later in the draft. But, um, yeah, maybe hit, hit me up on Twitter to see how that one plays out. But, um, yeah, we'll see soon that once we get outside the top 50, Efficient shot blocking big men are just so hard to find. Yeah, they they are definitely very hard to find. And these two guys obviously aren't efficient from the line. And we can talk about Drummond improving his free throws. You know, he did. He went from sub forty percent to around sixty percent, but that's still not good enough to you know, be non punty in uh, in fantasy. He went from being you know, impossible to being slightly less impossible, but it's still a pretty negative number in terms of Z score in the free throw percentage. Also, yeah, when you look at over the course of the season, his numbers did start to regress as well as his much documented assist numbers. And I think the assist numbers will stay down this season. I think the steals will go back up. And I'm thinking around that sixty to fifty, fifty eight to 60 mark for free throw percentages about right, but that still means on his volume that you probably need to be you're punting it. It's hard to recover. And Capella, similar, who's you know, a 55, 56 type free throw guy on uh, decent attempts, and those attempts will probably go up if he's playing those extra minutes. So that it does leave you with an issue there, but in, in terms of their other numbers, I think you should feel pretty confident in the consistency there. Now, you did already reference Marcus Sol, who we've got alone in tier seven. His field goal percentage was absolutely shit house last season really really dropped off but do you have any concerns with people you know, people were talking about it last season Marcus Sol is going to be traded and that clearly didn't happen I don't think it, I didn't think it was going to happen then I don't think it's going to happen now I think his role is fairly secure this season we'll see what happens with uh, Jaron Jackson in the future of course he will take that job at some point but he's not taking it this year so I think Gasoli is fairly steady you, you do just have to worry about that field goal percentage which dropped right off although I do think that Mike Conley's uh, return to this team and adding Jackson and Kyle Anderson should open things up for Gasol to not be the only offensive option on the team. Yeah, yeah, and, and Memphis were just terrible last season. It was a borderline um, D-League roster there at times. So Gasol will turn 34 this season as well. Yep. Um, just still holding on to some top 50 value. Um, it's slowly trending down, but... I think if you if you're getting him in that 35 to, to sort of 45 range, um, you probably should expect to get your your uh, return on investment there. Yeah, and again, another really really strong free throw shooter, which again is is quite difficult to find once we get out of these first seven or eight guys here. 
Tier 8 is filled with some pretty strong free throw percentage guys in, is, uh, as well in terms of centers. You've got DeAndre Ayton, the rookie, and Nikola Vucevic. They're from the Orlando Magic players who are probably heading in opposite directions in terms of trajectory. We're seeing Ayton go earlier and earlier in drafts at the moment. He was ranked outside the top 100 on Yahoo. They've brought him into 69 at the moment. Giggity! And we're seeing him go. I think nearly every draft I've done, he's gone inside the top 60. Um, hmm. Even inside the top 40 in some sort of situations. Now, I really like Aiton for this season. I'm not worried about them bringing him off the bench behind Tyson Chandler or Dragon Bender taking playing time. I think he's going to get 30 pretty much from day one. Um, but you know, how early is too early to go on Aiton? Well, this is the thing because we're seeing Miles Turner now go at pick 30. So, and. Two, three years ago, we had that run of point guards in the in the third round. Now we've got this run of big men sort of in the third to fourth round with the guys we've just mentioned, like Miles Turner and Gasol and Aldridge. Um, yeah, once Rudy Gobert goes off the board as well. So people are going early on DeAndre Ayton because, like I said, there are very few efficient shot-blocking big men in the league. So... I think if you if you want to draft him, you're going to have to go probably inside the top 50, probably somewhere in the 40s and, and maybe even late 30s if Miles Turner, um, John Collins, um, yeah, um, who was the other one I mentioned, uh, Marcus Aldridge, these guys have, have just gone off the board. So um, efficient, I think he should be top 50. The playing time looks sound. Um but yeah, just it's a it, it's it's still a risky pick um, drafting a rookie this early. With all of this stuff, you know, talking about the the hard to getness of centers, you know, punting blocks might be a, a pretty strong uh, strategy in head to head leagues this season. So when people are you know losing their shit about getting a center in rounds two, three, and four, and five, and like panicking and maybe reaching twenty spots for Aiton, maybe taking a flyer on Hassan Whiteside way earlier than they should have, you know, maybe you know, taking these gambles that they they probably shouldn't, then you're able to. Score group up the value of the guy that then falls, whether that's someone like CJ McCollum or it's Kemba Walker, or it's someone who maybe falls four or five spots because people are desperate to grab a center, you can sit back and, and not necessarily be as concerned about that. So that's something to bear in mind. It was similar to you know, punting assist strategy that couple of years ago when you mentioned when you'd have like 15 point guards go off in 25 picks in that mid-round area and you go, well, I don't, I don't need my assists. Um, you go and you reach for D'Angelo Russell and Dennis Schroeder and Jeremy Lin and whoever else was there, and I'll just pick off the other guys who start falling. I think that's we're sort of seeing a reverse effect for that happening this season. Now, Vucevic, you've also got in this tier a guy who we are worried about a trade. He's clearly not the future. I don't think Mo Bamba is anywhere near ready to be a starter for the Magic to start the season, and he won't be impacting Nick to begin the season, but... That could obviously change if they do move Vooch at some point, which I do fully expect them to do. Um, he scores, he's passing improved, he blocks one shot a game, the efficiency is nice. But if he goes from a starting center to a 20-minute a game backup center, then your value is cooked. Yeah, and, that, and that's the real worry if he does stay in Orlando, how much is he going to play in that final sort of maybe four to six weeks of the season. And Yeah, and this is why I think I said I just really don't So if you Matt, it wouldn't be a, wouldn't be a podcast without you unless uh, things dropped out. So I'm just going to try and get that back in uh, back in order. So just bear with me a sec, guys. 
All right, so Matt, we've got you back now. Hopefully, this is the last time that this uh, inferior internet that we have down here in Australia doesn't uh, screw with me. Tier 9, we're up to Miles Turner, Jarrett Allen, and Al Horford. You have, uh, again, I said you were saying some things about Miles Turner and uh, his recent value. Yeah, like I mentioned earlier, we've done um, a couple of drafts in the last few days, and We've seen Miles Turner go at pick 30 in an 8-cat and a 9-cat rotisserie league because owners are just desperate to find those um, efficient shot-blocking big men. So, And people aren't scared off of last year's um, dip in production like they normally are. So, um, yeah, we've got him projected at 66, but if you do want to own him this year, you're going to have to probably dive right into the about the fourth round to own him. My concern with, with Turner this year, and I'm, I'm big on Turner, I'm a big believer in him, is the fact that they brought in Kylo Quinn. There's still DeMontis Sabonis around there. So him pushing to 32, 33 minutes feels like it might be tough, just given Nate McMillan's, uh, I guess, lack of confidence in him, the other centers that they brought in. I still believe that Turner's going to be a good player. He can provide threes, blocks, Efficient free throw shooting, the rebounding is a real worry for him. We're well aware of that. But I just worry where the cap is on, on what his playing time gets to. He's not that prolific of a shot blocker where he's going to be putting up you know, two shots blocked in 25 minutes or anything like that. He's good enough, but he's not going to do that. Will he take a usage spike? Pretty unlikely given Tyreek Evans has joined this team. and He didn't take a spike last season when Paul George left. So I don't think much is going to change there. So you know, I think if you're reaching for him at pick 30 or 34, I reckon you're going to be pretty disappointed with that. And I understand the positional scarcity of it, but I'm not sure that that's the best use of that. Now, Turner's only 22. He could take a step forward, but you're going to need to see the playing time bump up. You need to see the aggressiveness with the boards and offensively, and I'm just not sure I'm ready to put my faith back in him to do that. Now, Jared Allen's another one who we had projected pretty high. His rank was really, really low, and of course, Yahoo went out and uh, bumped him all the way up to number 46, which now, Matt, makes me feel like I don't really want to draft him at that spot. Yeah, he comes out at uh, number 63 on our projections, but that is due to a a big um, field goal percentage um, in terms of high 50s, maybe even the low 60s, and his block numbers at around 1.9 per game. So um, there are concerns there whether how much playing time Jarrett Allen gets and when teams go small, will that play him off the floor? Um, yeah, the, the Nets signed Ed Davis as well in the offseason, so he can play some some small ball centre and backup centre. Um, but... Once again, especially in rotisserie leagues, we come back to it. If you if you want to look after your free throw percentage and get some blocks, you're going to have to find it somewhere. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like you do need to you grab these guys now, Alan. There's a couple of issues with him. Like he only played 24 minutes a night when he started those 31 games for Brooklyn last season. Plus, they brought in Davis and Farid is there. So I've got him projected at just 27 minutes per night. But I think there's a decent chance he doesn't even hit that. You know, if, if Atkinson was going to be serious with it, he'd play him 29 to 30. But this hasn't been Atkinson's MO through his time in Brooklyn, really limiting his guys in terms of playing time. And also, you know, Allen put on a real show the second half of last season. Over the last 25 games, he was blocking four shots per 100 possessions. But the start of the season, he was blocking like two and a half. So it was a big, big difference. And if he goes back to two and a half per 100 possessions, if he goes back to 25 minutes a night, then he's not you know, anywhere near worth a top 50 pick. So there is an element of risk there with him. And as for Horford, we know how good Al Horford actually is as a player. But with the return of Kyrie and Gordon Haywood, he is likely going to be the guy that sacrifices a lot of his offensive touches. He's not pr- producing you know, huge spikes in other areas. 
He's sort of a, a well-rounded, across-the-board type of a guy. And I think, again, he is, is a player who's getting significantly overdrafted based on his rank, but positional versatility is a real key factor there too. Yeah, and I'm, the Celtics are just so, so deep. <clears throat> I, I just don't think I'm going to end up with any of them on my teams this year. There's just so many players who who need touches and um, yeah, points. And, oh, dear, yeah, they're, for fantasy, I don't know, for some reason I'm just – Staying away from from Celtics players this season. Yeah, I can't see him. Like I think you know Haywood and and Tatum and Horford and Jalen will probably all go too high for my tastes. I agree with you there. Tier ten, Matt. You got four blokes here: Enes Kanter, Jonas Valanciunas, Hassan Whiteside, and Yusuf Nurkic. You've got two high free throw guys, two low free throw guys, with Whiteside and Nurkic being the poor free throw shooters, and Kanter and Valanciunas being the high free throw shooters. But of course, those guys aren't high shot blockers. Now, out of this group, who do you put the highest ceiling on? Um, the highest ceiling, probably Jonas Valanciunas. Um, he's always had a fantasy-friendly game. He's just never um, seen the, the playing time there in Toronto with Dwayne Casey. New coach in Toronto, who knows that might change. So you could almost look at it as a bit of a boom or bust type pick here in the in the middle rounds. Can you afford to take the gamble at this point of the draft? So um, I think if we're looking for a player you know, in the 60, 70, 80 range that could possibly jump up into the top 40 or top 50. Um, if I had to say one, it would be Jonas Valanciunas. Yeah, I think Valanciunas is my one. Now, Cantor's obviously got a huge role and he's massive for Roto Leagues with his really strong percentages. And when Porzingis comes back, then some of his minutes could be gone. I don't think Mitchell Robinson is coming in and taking much of Enes Cantor's playing time. I think Cantor actually sees probably a little bit more this season than what he saw last year where he was a really, really strong option. Um, Whiteside, I'm really concerned. I think the arrow is pointing pretty considerably down. I know he battled knee injuries, but that wasn't the entire reason that he sat his ass on the bench for many fourth quarters. It's the fact that Bam Adebayo and Kelly Olynyk are better options at center for this team than what Whiteside is. His block rate has declined significantly. He keeps claiming he's going to shoot threes. I don't know why he would be doing that. Nurkic is the other one I think who's got pretty decent upside here. He um, has some issues with efficiency and takes way too many shots. But if you just concentrated on, on taking the shots that are easy for him to make and blocking shots and hitting free throws, which is a constant roller coaster with Nurkic, I think he would be okay. But I don't have a huge level of confidence in what Nurkic can do um, in terms of improving that. But I think he's a decent bet here. But again, you're dealing with a poor free throw percentage with both he and Whiteside. Matt, without looking, and you probably already already are looking, who's got the worst uh, free throw percentage impact in my projections between Whiteside and Nurkic? Um, so Whiteside is negative 1.14 and Nurkic is a negative 1.59. So the According to my maths, that would be Nurkic. Yeah, exactly. Now, I, I just quickly glanced at that, and I was surprised to see that Nurkic yeah. had that uh, larger larger negative impact than Whiteside. Whiteside has improved it. It's dropped off a little bit, but Nurkic has been sort of all over the place with his free throw position. That could very easily switch during the season. But yeah, that just, uh, again, it's probably, if you guys listening to this would think, no, nah, Whiteside, definitely. But yeah, Nurkic is a sneaky shit free throw shooter that not many people necessarily think of when they think of him. And if you think of Whiteside, you go, you can't shoot free throws, block shots, cool. People don't necessarily associate that with Nurkic. I think maybe because he's white and European, people just think all those white European guys can shoot free throws well, but he is uh, not one of those guys who can do it. Luka Dontic can. He can uh, He can shoot free throws. He can shoot all his shots pretty well, Matt. Tier 11, let's go. Speaking of guys who can't shoot free throws. Yeah, a um, couple in, in this tier with DeAndre Jordan now with Mavericks, um, Stephen Adams at OKC, and Brooke Lopez with the Milwaukee Bucks. Um 
DeAndre Jordan, career low, 0.9 blocks last season. Um, I don't think that's going to increase by much this season. Brook Lopez finds himself in a really good spot there in Milwaukee, able to space the floor, um, letting Giannis and Bledsoe attack the basket. He's never been a strong rebounder, but if you're looking for blocks and threes and efficiency, he could be an important player um, at this point of the draft if you miss out on one of those guys earlier in into eight or T9. Um, and Stephen Adams, based on current projection, he is the single biggest negative contributor in any category, which is the free throw percentage. Um, career average of 56% from the stripe. And we have him just below that uh, this season on 4.8 attempts. So that is a big, big hit. Yeah, another guy who's a real sneaky, uh, bad free throw shooter. Now, people have asked me, why have you got Stephen Adams projected so low? So I'm going to throw out my uh, usual statement. I don't put these guys in order. I don't come out and say, Adams should be here. He, why he was ranked this high last year. Why is he you know, down lower Where he's in, in the 90s this season? The reason is, is that with the absence of Carmelo Anthony, I think that Stephen Adams is going to be taking more shots and have a higher usage. And by having a higher usage, that means he is going to be taking more free throw attempts, meaning a larger negative in that category. So that's a concern. I also think he's massively high field goal percentage from last year, has every chance to drop 1% or 2%. And if it drops 1% or 2%, when that was really carrying his value, then that can drop you 10 spots just in itself. If it goes from 65 to 60, that's a big, big drop. So that's what I'm looking at him, an increase in usage meaning increased free throw attempts plus a drop in overall field goal efficiency. He's never been a good shot blocker, and I don't think that's going to start all of a sudden. Um, so that's my worry with Adams. He's still young. He can still improve. He's only 25, but when you look at it from a fantasy point of view, these are the things I can see happening. Yeah, he will use the ball more, but that means going to the free throw line more, and that means more of a negative impact. But if you punt that category, then actually his value probably increases because it adds a couple of points onto his his overall scoring. Jordan, I agree. I don't think that the uh, blocks are getting back up. And Brook Lopez, I think, has got a real chance to be a sneak top 50 guy this year. No way that you draft him there. But blocks, threes, scoring, if he gets 31 minutes instead of 28 minutes, then that can really, really jump back up. And That's probably a little bit out of his reach, but I really do like him as one of those shot-blocking efficient centers late, and he is probably going to be that guy. If you missed out early, you might have to go a bit a bit earlier because there aren't many guys behind him who can produce that sort of value that uh, that hopefully that he can. Although there are a couple of guys in Tier 12 with the potential to be, uh, be that sort of a player. So let's go through who is in Tier 12 right now. We have Larry Nance in Cleveland, Dwight Howard um, is now with the Wizards. Wendell Carter Jr., the rookie in Chicago. Willie Cauley-Stein at the Kings. And Dwayne Dedman in Atlanta. Um, Larry Nance is an interesting one this season. He'll likely start off the bench, I would think. He's better player than Tristan Thompson. And, and Kevin Love has a, um, a knack of getting in- injured. Um, and we know when Nance can see a healthy allocation of playing time that he can put up some strong rebounding and defensive numbers. So he's worth a look at this stage. Um, Dwight Howard, he's your normal fantasy Christmas tree with bright green and rebounds, blocks and field goal percentage and dark red everywhere else. Wendell Carter Jr., a big part of the Bulls' future, had an awesome summer league. How long into the season does... Robin Lopez go to the bench so Wendell Carter Jr. can start. From what I understand from someone from talking to someone about this is that Lopez is unlikely to be benched this season, um, but he will be traded. So as soon as a trade, okay. they, they're unlikely to do what they did last season and sit him on the bench. They will trade him uh, rather than benching him. Off the top of your head, do you know what his contract is? Um, it's like twelve million. I'll, I'll look that up as we uh, yeah. as we speak. 
Then uh, Willie, Ca- Willie, Willie Cauley-Stein, he doesn't have a big um, free throw hit um, the few uh, as a few other players at this point of the draft do. Rebound steals and blocks are all good enough. But the big question with him is how much playing time does he get in that crowded Kings front court um, and just on Deadman as well. He's actually in a walking boot at the moment um, due to a fracture in his left ankle. Um, but he was uh, an efficient big last season, handy in blocks and steals, but he's also got Alex Len breathing down his neck this season. So, yeah, slim pickings and uh, back to Lopez. Lopez is at $14.4 million for this season. Just one season, so he's yep. yeah expiring contract, so that becomes an asset to to a team, hopefully. So even if they got rid of him for a pair of seconds or a second rounder and some mm-hmm. sort of you know, other other small asset, I, I I think that he will start. Like he's not going to play thirty minutes a night. And Carter still has to battle punch Bob uh, Bobby Portis in there for those backup centre minutes too. So I think that Carter can have a really big you know, season at some point. Maybe it's March. I think you're going to find him yeah, unrosterable for the first two three months of the season. I really like what Carter can do. Preseason is going to tell us quite a bit about how they use him. But I think expecting big minutes from him early on, it's not going to be the same as, say, Jaron Jackson Jr., who I think has got a chance to start opening night. I don't think there's any chance of Wendell Carter doing that unless Lopez gets moved in the interim. The leg fracture for Deadman is important to note as well because I think he's going to miss some time during the regular season, so that's important for us to pay attention to. But Carter would be that guy, a shot-blocking, efficient big man, if that role comes. But you know, can you hold him for October, November, December, January maybe? Until he gets you know, 27 minutes a night in uh, in in February, can you hold him that long? The answer is probably going to be no in most daily changes type format. So that is something to pay attention to. Tier 13, Matt, just to wrap this up with the last couple of tiers. Yeah, so just Montrez, Harrell, and Jordan Bell in this tier. Um, Harrell will still be the backup big there in LAC behind March and Gortat this season, not DeAndre Jordan. I'm not convinced um, he will be all season, though, personally. you start later on in the year, Yeah, I think you – got that shit. I, I think that Harold's got an opportunity there. He No, he can't really protect the rim very well, but he's a high usage, high efficiency, high, a pretty decent – actually, not that, not that great a rebounder, but a high volume, high efficiency yeah. scoring, big man with huge field goal percentage, and there is some value there in him, but um, he does have to overtake Gortat, but I think, he, I think he will at some point. Yeah, he had a really nice stretch of value late last season as well, thanks to his incredible field goal percentage, so – um, that could be a, a boost for fantasy teams this season. And um, Golden State Warriors, are we expecting Kevon Looney to start at centre? Yep. Um, that means Bell will be coming off the bench, but we know he has a unique defensive ability, so he could be one to help get your team off to a quick start while um, Demarcus Cousins is out. Yeah, we know Jordan Bell doesn't need big minutes to be useful in fantasy. If he got 30 minutes a night, he'd be absolutely fantastic. He was the 200th-ranked player in only 14 minutes last year. And if you look on per 36 value, he was the 20th most valuable player, averaging 14 and 12. Sorry, no, that's not true. He was averaging 12 and 9 with almost four or with four and a half assists, 1.6 deals and 2.5 blocks on 63 and 68% shooting, which are obviously really, really strong numbers, especially the field goal percentage, but the, the free throw is not too bad. Give him 22 minutes a night. He's absolutely worth picking as a last guy. At some point, you might have to drop him, but maybe he plays himself into the permanent backup role behind Boogie and gets 22 a night for the whole season. Probably unlikely, but it is a possibility. Assuming Steve Kerr has gotten over his uh, you know, dislike of all these young kids coming in and uh, doing flashy shit all over the place. Tier 14, Matt will wrap us up for centers. We've got Cody Zeller and Bill Hernan Gomez, the two Charlotte guys, and JaVale McGee for the Lakers. I know if this was Kyle's projections, McGee would be higher. I have concerns, and you heard me and Kyle debate this on our pod last week. 
about McGee's ability to stay on the court for 20-plus minutes with his asthma concerns. And with the Hornets, guys, Zeller's going to start. I don't really have many concerns about that, although Borrego did come out and say all positions are you know, up for grabs apart from Kemba Walker, which seems like bullshit. But um, Zeller needs 32 minutes. Hernan Gomez needs 22 minutes. So that's why they're in that same tier because you know, one's a, a high permanent monster. The other's a really solid player who doesn't put up many numbers. Yeah, and that's just got timeshare written all over it. doesn't bode well for... Either of their value, so um, probably neither will be stand leg relevant. And Javale McGee will be a, a useful streaming option if you need some cheap blocks and a, a boost in your field goal percentage. I like a guy like Hernan Gomez in like a best ball no, uh, draft only type format where you can just draft mm-hmm. him. And if he gets the job, then it blows up. If he plays 20 minutes, then it's still fine as well. But he's got that real upside. Whereas Zeller doesn't have as much of an upside in that type of a, of a format. Um, he's a guy that you know will play if he plays 30. Then eh, what's he do? 100 and top 120 maybe if he. He plays 32, he jumps a little bit, whereas if Hernan Gomez played 32, then we're talking top 50. It's, it's a big difference. So taking that upside pick with someone like Bill might be worth it. But if you're looking for some steadiness, then Zala's probably the guy you want to look for in that spot. Matt, that wraps up a whole week of Matt Smith on this podcast. So go and follow him on Twitter at S-Man Sports. Matt, thanks for jumping on and uh, helping us do all the center tiers. No, I appreciate it. Thanks, Josh. And uh, maybe next year I'll come over and um, I come over to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball office and you and I can sit up there in the penthouse and, and do it together. Come and uh, come and spend a week in Melbourne. We'll set up the set up the dual mics, get the uh, get the multi-cam set up going and uh, we'll get you get you live in studio. And by uh, studio, I mean this back room with the birds pecking away at the roof. So yeah, come and uh, come and join me. We can do a live, live podcast next season. Go follow Matt on Twitter. Subscribe to me on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, and on YouTube. Give it a start. Not one star. Give it five of them, in fact. Five-star rating and review. YouTube comments, thumbs up. You know it's all appreciated. Matt, thank you very much. Thanks, Josh. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Derek Favors.